Hey everyone, I believe that gratitude has been such an instrumental part of making my own recovery and life better that I want to create something called the Gratitude Zone. And what this is, is I would love for you, the listener, to send me a two to three minute audio clip letting me know who you are, what it is you do, what you're grateful for, and why. And then we're going to be posting it on future episodes of The Road Beyond Recovery. Feel free to send that to Tamar at theroadforward.ca, and there will be more information in the show notes. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey guys, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Road Beyond Recovery podcast. And this morning, I want to give my partner Gene a big shout out and let him know that I am grateful for him. You know, uh, Gene and I have had a very, you know, up and down last seven and a half years, uh, but we have grown in our relationship, you know, things were not always easy and things got really hard a few months ago. But as a result, we've come out stronger than ever. And, you know, it's, it's great to learn how to grow together, right? I think that's something that in the past I was never able to do when things started to get tough, I would put one foot out the door. I didn't know how to deal with it because I honestly thought that, you know, that feeling you get, that honeymoon stage, the first couple of years where things are amazing and then life gets real. You know, I had I had troubles sticking in that real life sometimes. It wasn't difficult and I would often think to myself, you know, and, and this goes back to all my relationships, you know, am I settling is this what I want in my life? And so I had to start picking out the good instead of always focusing on the things that I didn't like about my relationships. And, you know, there's so many areas that Jean supports me in and I'm incredibly grateful for that today, right? We have grown in our own recovery together and, you know, I can tell him everything. We might not always agree about it, but the reality is, is that I have someone that I can confide in, right? I have somebody who, when I'm just being downright bitchy, can forgive me and accept me for who I am. And someone who supports my vision and my dream, right, of helping other people. And so for that, I am truly grateful for today. On today's show, I have another amazing guest my friend Amy Guerrero from Thrive in Recovery. Amy shares her story of overcoming addiction. We talk about what it's like to thrive in recovery, right? That was something that I got very complacent in my own recovery, right? And I thought, is this it? And it wasn't. And so we share that that common interest of learning how to really thrive in recovery, right? 
living a life beyond recovery and knowing that our experience and what we've been through can actually be a gift. So just because we've experienced addiction does not mean we have to define ourselves by that. And so we get into this and much, much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. I am hanging out with Amy Guerrero from Thrive in Recovery. How are you, Amy? I'm doing super well. It's so nice to be here. I already feel so like connected. I'm like, are we on a screen or are you right here in my room with me? Yeah, I know. Feels we're so just good. hanging out in your home. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, well, for those who don't know you, why don't you do a quick introduction of yourself and what it is you do today? And we're going to really dive into that a little bit later as well. Yeah, for sure. So um, my name is Amy Guerrero and I'm a conscious sober woman. I, um, Mm, I've been supporting people at different levels my whole life. And, um, and when I really stepped into consciousness at the level that I did, I knew that it was something my journey was so freaking difficult to get here, that um, I knew it was something in 2014, when I started on the journey that I wanted to bring forward to the world. And so I did it. <laughs> I mean, first I had to do it for myself. So from 2014 to 2016 was, um, I'll tell you a little bit more as we go through today, but it was a really rough, rough, rough place of um, truly like people just not knowing how to meet me where I was at. And so I designed a program and I started designing it in 2014 to support people in recovery to really go from just like surviving one day at a time to truly thriving. And the reason that I designed it is because I would not, I couldn't possibly, I mean, I, I proved it to everyone around me and myself. I couldn't stay sober without knowing that I could bring in everything that I had learned to date. So I had been teaching yoga for several years. I'd been teaching nutrition for several years. I had been doing um, trauma work. And my journey to become physically dependent on alcohol was because I was like, I can heal all of my trauma before I turn 40. Watch me, bitches. Like, I mean, I really, like, <laughs> I, I really thought that this was going to be possible. And I thought that if I went to the root cause, which was my birth mom, and I healed that relationship, then everything would shift. It would be like the magic bullet that I'd been waiting for my whole life. And it was. Mm-hmm. It was just very different than I thought it was going to be. It was the magic bullet because that's when I became physically dependent on alcohol. And I got real freedom in my life. And it helped me go deeper into my trauma Mm -hmm. and really understand my body at a deeper level. Um, It did mean that I had to, to eliminate my favorite coping mechanism. And I did not, you know, I needed it when I was trying to heal my trauma, I thought. And come to find out, you know, my adventure that I went on, and it was quite an adventure, was exactly what I needed to be here now mm-hmm. and to be gifted with this, like, I mean, the felt sense of what it feels like to be lift, you know, be have people come into your, firemen come into your apartment on a regular basis to take you to the hospital and to be walking around the streets of San Francisco without shoes on, to be, you know, I just went to the depths of the depths. Um, all because I, I just didn't know how to 
how I was going to thrive without, you know, a coping mechanism that I'd used for like a lot of years from like, I don't know, 11 to 40. So that's a little bit about my story. <laughs> and now I get to support people in this tremendously like rewarding way. And, um, and all the while, like one thing you'll hear me say often is like, I practice what I teach. Like I am not, I am no one's guru. I am definitely a guide and a mentor. And um, my commitment is always to meet people where they're at. So that's I, it. I love how you share that too, because I, you know, lead by example, everything that I teach is stuff I've gone through. And I share my journey as I go through it. I mean, not every day is easy, but like you, we have all these amazing tools now. And I think, you know, I can see the light through the dark times because like you, my coping mechanism now is gone. And so it's time to dig deep. And I think you nailed it when, you know, your experience and everything you've been through has led you to this moment. And that's what I want people in recovery to see as well, because there is so much more out there and we are such go-getters. Like we have all the skills that we need to do amazing things. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny, you talk to a lot of people in recovery, they go on diets and, you know, the typical things you do to go, okay, well, I'm going to get my head in order. I got to get in shape, right? So they dive in 100% to, you know, working out whatever it be. Um, but it's the same behaviors over and over and over again, right? And they quit. And it's like, well, I don't have the willpower. It's like, yeah, you did. I said, you know, if you needed a drink, like a glass of wine or a beer, were you going to like let anybody tell you no? And they're like, no. And I said, so why don't you take that energy and put it over here a little bit? So <laughs> I 100%. totally, totally, um, I love where you're coming from. So why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, like what was life like growing up for you and what led to your drinking? Yeah, for sure. Um, so my, every, what I, view as trauma is the chronic disruption of connectedness. And this idea and this definition came from Stephen Porges, one of um, who I was introduced to uh, pretty young in my journey. I was introduced to these ideas of trauma in the body and all of these things that I didn't quite understand yet. Um, and now I have a very great understanding of it. But um, my first chronic disruption was that my birth mom just like couldn't do the thing. And um, so I didn't have the experience of having a mother. And um, that's a huge disconnection for a secure attachment, for helping you learn to, uh, or helping me learn to cope with my own nervous system, helping me learn to self-soothe, all of those things. So I didn't have that secure attachment. And that's where it all started. Um, I started to, I, early on in like diapers, I, I couldn't poop. My, ner my nervous system was already clenching and holding on to things. And so that started a, a childhood of enemas and, and um, always kind of being sick. My immune system wasn't very strong, all of the things. And so it showed up right away. Um, you know, there's a lot to be said about breast milk and, and listening to your mom's heartbeat or listening to someone's heartbeat. Right. And uh, I didn't have that. So when I found things outside of myself to support me to cope, um, whether it was like my grandma's little shoes or the blanket that I would rub on my fingernails or whatever it was, like I was just, you know, constantly finding things to help me soothe. So, I mean, in, you know, in retrospect, it makes total sense that as soon as I figured out I could get drunk that I was like, oh yeah, this is the thing. 
Um, but I also had this like deep, deep, deep seeking within me. Um, you know, I was pretty smart and also pretty like, I guess like wise or knew that there was just something bigger and greater in this force that I was super curious about. And so um, I had these kind of polarities things of like, I, I wanted to turn it all off or I wanted to be seeking and finding these new experiences. So I could figure out my place in the world um, from a very young age. So I went to all my friends' churches and all of the things. I was like, I was speaking in tongues when I was in like sixth grade at some <laughs> church, you know, like, I mean, I would go, like you said earlier, I would go all in because I just, I mean, it was awesome to have all these different experiences. Yeah. And were you going to say something? No, I was just like, I can totally relate. Totally relate. Totally relate. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I can feel that resonance in you. So I was like, I'm going to give her an opportunity to relate. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like that's you said, like, you know, people that choose recovery or people that struggle with substances, like uh, I do feel like, you know, we're seeking something. And, and now we have data and science to prove that we are. We're seeking regulation in our nervous systems. Uh, we're seeking to, to shift our state. And it works. And, you know, I mean, I had great opportunities with um, hallucinogenics and MDMA um, at a young age as well that I, I started using as, like, exploratory, curious adventures, right? Like I wasn't like going to raves. I was like setting up all these different rooms in the house and one would be like the journaling room and one would be the this. And so I was always like, I'm going to figure some shit out tonight. Right. And um, maybe smoke like a hundred cigarettes and, and then drink to come down. But I would always figure something out. And so, I mean, it, it worked for a really, really, really long time. One of my coping mechanisms was also overachieving. So um, I was the first person to go to college in my family. I made, I, money always came to me really easily. I started my first business in high school. Um, I mean, I, I just was like, I'm gonna do everything, you know? And yeah. I could do, 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 do. And so much of that came from this masculine energy of like, I've got this and I don't need anyone's help. And do, do, do. you know, I'm just like, oh gosh, like that, that part of me, I just nurture so much because I didn't know any other way. And when I needed to come down, nothing worked faster than alcohol, right? When I needed to come up, nothing worked faster than cocaine or Adderall. Mm -hmm. And so, and it worked. Like I, I figured out a way to medicate myself in those ways for several years, still therapy, yoga, nutrition, you know, all of the things all still happening. Mm -hmm. But my go to was alcohol. And it was never a really healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't. Yeah. And it's we're always I love how you say we're always seeking for something because like it's I know for me, my dad, when, you know, I was younger, I used to play soccer and I was very engaged in sports. He was my coach and he was always pushing me. You can do better. You can do better. And that almost developed that perfectionism. So when he didn't say anything and I knew he was always proud, then all of a sudden it must be, well, I'm not working hard enough. I have to do better. And this, it, I've brought it into my adult life with me. And still today, you know, for me, I'll do something, I create a course and I'm like, ah, it's not good enough. And I beat myself up. Now I have the tools to get over that, right? So I can move forward. 
but I was always seeking that love, the attention and alcohol gave me that, right? Mm -hmm. Everything just slipped away, right? And like you said, with the highs and lows, I used the same things to go up and to come down. And it was just this vicious state. So for you, when did you realize that you had to stop and give up alcohol? Oh, gosh. Um, well, can I just say one more th one yeah. thing about what you mentioned first, yeah. and then I'll answer that question. You know, when people talk about perfectionism, and how can emotional trauma um, have been a part of what caused the perfectionism, what you just talked about with your father is such a beautiful example of that of um, when he wasn't encouraging you to do more. Mm -hmm. then you created a story somewhere in your body and your system of like, Oh no, I'm doing something wrong now. Yeah. And we don't learn how to communicate and ask our, our parents at that time. Right? Like it, we didn't feel safe. We didn't know that we could be like, Hey dad, are you still proud of me? Mm -hmm. Can you just tell me, can you just remind me? And this is what we're relearning to thrive in recovery. Yeah. Because you know, it, it was, a chronic disruption of connectedness. He wasn't telling you anymore at a girl, do more, do better. You could do this, kick the ball this way and not that way. Da, da, da. And so you felt abandoned in some way. I mean, I'm speaking for you. I mean, this is the experience that people have in the world yeah. and that starts a whole pattern and a whole behavior, mm -hmm. right? It's fascinating. It is. And I've recognized that now it could, it's just, little things of even my dad saying, you know, we're not good at math. And so I labeled myself as, oh, failed my first test. I'm not good at math. I'm not smart. But when I actually started doing things that I had passion for, that completely changed because then I was motivated to do it. And I loved doing it. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm, you know, testing these beliefs here. They're pretty false. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's amazing. It's just those little things that we don't, we don't really understand until we start to look into them. Yeah. And they are a little unsubtle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what happened to me. Um, so after I went to meet my birth mom, um, then my drinking was like on um, and it was different. Um, I I mean, listen, I was a party girl, like backstage at all the shows, da, 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 like amazing life. Like I, I'm, I'm not mad at alcohol ever or drugs mm -hmm. or any of it because it kept me alive. Um, and what sucked is the day that I woke up shaking. Yeah. And um, and I could not detox on my own. Um, and that's when ugh, it was just like such so I just could not figure out how I was going to live like at all from that point forward. That's when things got really weird. Um, I had friends come up and help me self detox. My dad flew in from Texas. We did a self detox with like a breathalyzer and beer and the whole thing got me down, started going to 12 step meetings, um, really identified in the CODA and um, Al-Anon spaces, but it wasn't enough. And I also really identified as like, I'm going to be, I, I cannot be a victim my whole life to this mm -hmm. thing. And so I was already kicking back on those systems, but they seem to be the prominent systems, even in San Francisco, a very progressive place. And everyone's like, if you don't do this, you're going to die. And I'm like, well, then I'd rather die. And I mean, I'm, you know, a strong ass woman, you know, making six figures, doing all the things. And so I was like, fuck it. Like, I would just rather not be here. If this is the only way, 
I'll pretend as if I'm doing it, but I wasn't really, really doing it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I did end up working the steps in like a, a profound way and, and all of the things. And I also tried every other recovery program. But the moment that I knew that my relationship with alcohol was going to have to end um, was in 2014. And then that's when I started two years of just just hard, hard, hard times um, to finally not die mm-hmm. for the, yeah, for like after the eighth treatment center, between six and eight. I can't even remember. It was so fuzzy and weird at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I was like, all right, gonna live like I never lived before. Like, let's do this thing. And literally three months after I was, um, my last drink, I started my business. Wow. Talk about going all in. Yeah. I was like, there's nothing else for me to do in the world other than show people that what I went through for those two years is not necessary. And thank God, like I'd been an entrepreneur for a long, long, long time. So I had all that business strength and all of that knowledge to, to get me there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I mean, living living my story out and sharing my story and knowing that I was going to have to be just like wide open and totally vulnerable. Like there's just nothing that I don't share Mm -hmm. because what kept me stuck for so long was that people weren't sharing other than what I would hear in 12 step rooms. But I just wasn't connecting because I was like, but you've been in these rooms for 30 years and like, you still smoking cigarettes. I don't understand. Like there has to be another way. <laughs> so and nothing wrong with that at all. Just wasn't going to be what was going to make my nervous system happy, my life happy. And so, yeah, I mean, there's just so much that's possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've always been an optimist, even in my darkest of dark days, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the firemen were picking me up one day and he was like, you know, underneath like all of this drunk, everything that you are right now, like you have a light. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> Would you please give me a banana bag ASAP? <laughs> I can say it again. Say it again. Yeah. That I'm a light. <laughs> it's true. And I feel and maybe that's why, you know, I feel so connected with you is that it was the same thing for me, right? I was always an optimist. I mean, I went through dark times. I suffered with depression and I know a lot of it stemmed from drinking and just not being able to handle my emotions and suppressing everything. But you bring up a good point, I think. And that's why I wrote the book Beyond Recovery is I got complacent in early recovery and I was listening to people constantly focus on the problems in their life and not living in the solution. And I just... It, it drags you down eventually, right? And I just thought, okay, there has to be something more. Like I keep getting told you need to be grateful that the life you have, you've gotten things back because I had almost lost everything. I was very functioning in the end, but I mean, other than, you know, the bankruptcy and the, the failed marriage and all that kind of stuff and being severely overweight. I mean, that for me was my bottom. And I, I think that getting complacent after about four or five years sober, I could have very easily gone back because I just thought, is this it? Like, I feel like I meant for more. I just don't know what that more is. And I think that you have to go above and beyond the foundation that you build in early recovery to go, okay, I recognize alcohol, not good. Got to stay away from it. Doesn't do me any good, right? 
cleaning up that stuff, but then what, right? Moving on. And that's what you help people focus on today. So how did you discover, you know, your passion and your purpose in life? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. And I, that was what I asked myself over and over and over again from that very first treatment center. I was like, okay, cool. I'm sober. Now what? Like, you know, I mean, again, that's part of my like masculine utilitarian manifesting generator, all of the things about my personality that just, I've just got like a, a sim my nervous system runs more sympathetic. Like I just like to do, I like to create, I like to more, 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 no wonder, right? More, more, more. <laughs> um, but I, you know, this time around, um, I knew that I wanted to do it different. Mm -hmm. I knew that if I was going to really support people in recovery and, and, and share that, that, that there's so many different ways and we can bring in all the modalities that work for you. Mm -hmm and create something. And then when I felt it in me, so I, I really believe that like my purpose was just like always in me and I felt so connected. And so all the things that alcohol and drugs made, you know, that connection, <laughs> I felt connected. Mm -hmm. And that's what, what I was just, I remember the, um, I was, I was in teach, teaching and treatment centers and, um, Oh, I taught one class and like everyone wanted a one-on-one -on -one with me afterwards. And I was just like, oh, I've just totally arrived, you know, like not because they want me, but because like I'm going to spend time with each and every one of these people. And maybe I can say one thing. And I was teaching through the nutrition lens at that point. Mm -hmm. And it was just so cool to this day. I'm connected to the, to these, some of these people. And, um, and that's when I just was like, all right, I'm not going to move towards anything in my life that doesn't somehow make me feel these same feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I don't know, that that really shifted everything. That's when my passion, that's when I gave myself full permission <laughs> to like feel my passion, mm -hmm. to feel the pleasure of it, to to be okay with it, to stop apologizing for it. Yes. Um, yeah, I remember um, my music. I, I hang out with a lot of musicians, and and I was always kind of like, "How did you decide that like you were gonna do that? Because it it doesn't make sense." And I would compare it to like when I was teaching yoga, how I felt just so on fire, and just so connected to that room, and and how it was like sharing my my music through the sounds of my voice and the vibration of my my teaching and what I could see with this room. And I was like, Oh, like, we're like artists. We're like, you know, it, we're, we're helping people. And we're also feeling so good inside simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And cause I had so much guilt and shame, I, I didn't feel like I could, I deserved to feel like that. Yeah. So that was, that's still something that I consistently overcome, right? Like, again, I do the work with everyone that I, everyone. And yeah, it'll come up like, oh, how dare I feel this good? Yeah. Thank you for saying that because it's something I think about too. And it's sometimes it's, who am I to do this? And then, you know, I have one of my mentors going, who are you not? <laughs> right? Wow. Absolutely. It's so powerful. When those feelings come on, I mean, I'm like five, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not 46. 
Yeah. I'm just like, oh, you know, no one's ever going to love me the way I am. You know, just all of the things. <laughs> so, you know, I nurture that part of me and because I know that she's never going to completely, you know, heal or go away or any of that. And I don't want her to. I want her to integrate. I want her to feel safe within me. Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of, of living my passion is <laughs> twirling around in dresses all the time. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And, you know, it's it's funny because the way that our brains work sometimes and the thoughts that we get, even when it looks like we might fully have it together, we don't always completely have it together. And there's still those thoughts because I was sitting with a friend of mine in recovery and somebody had messaged her, right? And, you know, she said, I just, I don't know why, but lately I've just been feeling alone And, you know, all of a sudden a a message popped up and said, hey, you know, it was so-and-so, do you want to meet up for dinner next week? And she goes, you know, I was thinking after I said that, that I get a lot of these invites, but yet why on earth do I feel like no one loves me? (laughs) I said, because it's just what we do sometimes, right? We don't look at that and go, maybe we just don't want to do that, but we're trying to, our old self is going, you should feel sorry for yourself right now because you have no friends right? It's not the truth. Like it's like we lie to ourselves. Yeah. Well, and um, again, it's like what I find is that the nervous system sometimes hasn't had the experience Mm -hmm. of having it all. Mm. And so we, we stretch into that. Mm -hmm. I stretch into that. I let in a little bit more. And then I like, open my heart. And then I get like, a no from someone I love. And I'm like, oh, we ain't closing down. We gonna stay open for the no too. Yeah. And how can I like take that in? Because mm-hmm. that's where my most e- expansiveness comes from mm-hmm. of like, oh, I'm here for all of it. Yeah. Which I did not have the capacity to do because I would drink or use something or have sex or whatever, something highly pleasurable and take me out of my body. Mm -hmm. And now as a conscious sober woman, I'm like, oh, no, 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 Like, yeah, you saying no to me, you telling me that I'm all these things, like, bring it. I'm okay. I can take it. And I'm going to let it in and not close my heart, Mm. which is like... I don't, I don't know. Uh, to be continued. More will be revealed. <laughs> yes. I want to know more. So why don't we talk about the number one thing that keeps you stuck, which is the nervous system. You've talked about it. You know, what is it that you do with your clients? How do you help them? Yeah. Well, first of all, I, we just figure out they have one. <laughs> like, <right? laughs> Identify. Yeah, exactly. Like, because we, especially if we've been checking out with drugs and alcohol since we're 11, 12, you know, younger, we forget we have a body. And (laughs) like, it's like, oh, no, no, no. But I think this, I think that, and I think this. And I'm like, whoosh, how do you feel? What are you noticing? Right. So, um, Deb Dana, one of my teachers, has really made um, it easy to map out the nervous system. So that's one of the first things that we do together is we just like figure out like what your story is and what the, what the three different parts of your nervous system are telling you at different times. Mm -hmm. And you know, what I love about working with people in this way is that it immediately takes some guilt and shame out of the equation Mm -hmm. because it starts to make sense. 
And, you know, I mean, there is some truth to like, if the science is there, then it helps us feel like less wrong or less of a burden. And there's just a lot of science to it. And the nervous system is only designed to keep us alive. Mm -hmm. And so when it's activated, you know, it's activating to just help you survive, but not to thrive. And so when we can learn when it gets activated to actually create some safety to bring the nervous system back into a more ventral or flow place, then magic is possible. And it's not, you know, it's so much easier than we think it is Mm -hmm. because once we can start noticing and naming all of the things that are happening, then we're not creating as big a story as maybe we once were as human beings about why I'm here and all the things that happen that that can lead down that rabbit hole that we were talking about earlier of like, nobody loves me, everybody hates me. Oh, I just got three texts for invitations to dinner this week, right? But then nobody loves me, everybody hates me is much more familiar Mm -hmm. than celebrating like, oh, I just got three texts for dinner, yeah. Like we just don't, we forget because our society is based on like, celebrating the negative, right? And so, uh, again, it's that expansiveness. It's like, oh, can I celebrate everything? Can I take every stroke life gives me? So a lot of what I do with my clients in the first month is just like really build this foundation of understanding. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, it just depends on what we're we're bringing forward in the world um, and what stage of recovery they're in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there is a big difference. I mean, you have to, you know, for me, it took building that foundation first and going, okay, I recognize this is what's happened, why it's happened. I've kind of cleaned up my mess a little bit. Now I'm starting to help other people, but I need to do more. And I think, you know, um, you talk about why consistency is so hard. And I've become incredibly consistent over the last while. And I think, you know, I've really... Um, wanted to learn as much as I could about like neuroscience and emotional intelligence and stuff like that. And I'm really tapping into what are my triggers now? Because, you know, one of them that I found out through emotional intelligence was you can give me feedback all day long, but because I'm such on such a vulnerable, like you talked about becoming vulnerable and sharing your story and opening your heart. I did that even though I was still scared of the stigma that was associated with, you know, coming from a life of addiction. I just thought, ah, you know, what are people going to say? And I finally had to just say, okay, forget it. I don't care. So as I started to do that, though, you're going to get people who don't agree with your journey. And so if somebody that doesn't know me attacks my integrity, that is my trigger. That is where I start to shut down again. And those old beliefs come back and say, who are you to do this? You know, Mm -hmm. even though... I have 22 years of experience in this stuff. Like I've been through a lot and I know that that's a gift in my heart that I can, I can feel that, but it has taken consistency with wanting to learn, wanting to, you know, understand how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling that way, how to respond rather than react, which is something that I was really good at reacting. Right. Um, But you know, why is consistency so hard for people? And you know, how does it change everything? Yeah. Well, I mean, what you're talking about is just such a beautiful example. It's like, it doesn't feel safe to be consistent Mm -hmm. because the nervous system doesn't have the lived experience of what that would be like. And maybe it was never married to you in your, 
in your families, or maybe it was married to you in this really like militant kind of way. And you're like, oh no, hell no, I'm not going to do it that way. And so it feels scary. I mean, your dreams might actually come true if you're consistent and having your dreams actually come true is scary, right? Because it, it comes back to that idea of like, how can I have this? And, you know, one of the most common things I hear people say is like, I'm so damaged. And how can I have this if I'm so damaged? And like those two things can't necessarily exist at the same time in the nervous system. So people call it self-sabotage. And I'm like, eh, I don't believe it's self-sabotage. I believe your nervous system got freaked out because you were about to like bust through like, you know, the biggest number you've ever had in your bank account. And you went and blew it on a bunch of cocaine this weekend. Like, okay, that makes total sense to me coming from the fact that like, it was your nervous system said this is too much and I need to figure out a way to make it less again because I'm damaged, mm -hmm. right? And it, it it's it's so simple when I say it like this, but it's so complex while it's happening because it's like, well, why can't I? And that's why consistency is so important because that's where we stretch our nervous system. And people are like, oh, but that's so boring and so lame. And da, da, da. I'm like, that's an idea. And it's absolutely not true because staying consistent in itself, there's nothing boring about it No, because you're training your nervous system, right? You do not build a muscle by going to lift weights once. Yeah. You don't learn to swim by jumping in the pool once. Like it, it all takes this consistency. And there's very few people who practice consistency. Mm -hmm. And as an entrepreneur, it's so important. You know, I, I find a lot of people in recovery are like, I want to start a business. And I'm like, can we brush your teeth every day first? Like, you know, like we, we're not there yet because it will test every part of you. And yeah. if you don't have the foundation and you don't floss your teeth or brush your teeth or whatever it is, then the first time that something goes wrong in your business, the whole business will collapse. Mm -hmm. And um, that ain't no good. No. That you, you can't quit your job and celebrate being an <laughs> entrepreneur if that shit's happening. <laughs> exactly. And that's something that I think when I took the leap of faith in March, I knew 100% in my heart, this is what I want to do. This is what I my calling is, what my purpose is. And I believe that that has actually been the key to my recovery is understanding that I am here for more, learning how to thrive right? Having faith that my needs will be met. I mean, that first month when I took that leap of faith, I quit like no safety net, no nothing. I just went for it. And I thought, okay, it's sink or swim and I don't sink. <laughs> and so there's scary times, but I'm consistent. I know every day what I have to do. And even, you know, there's times where, because I still struggle with depression from time to time, that I'll have those days where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do anything. Like, I just want to stay in bed all day. But I know there's a few things, key things, and, and they're always health related, meditation, right? All the, the, the affirmations, everything that I do every day to be spiritually fit and just focused, mm -hmm. I do those things and I can leave the rest. I know the key things and I just push through them and then, well, I see the light again and I continue. So what would you say has kind of been the key to living a sober life for you? Mm. Hashara, I... 
that's interesting. I not like one thing comes to me. Yeah. Um, the key to living. Well, I mean, consistency is a big part of it. Like mm -hmm. I love a routine. Me too. Like I really like, mm, it's so like comforting and cozy to me. And I change up my routine. Um, like all, kind of every like six weeks to a month, like as soon as I'm just like, oh, I want to practice with my yoni egg more this month, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. Like I allow myself to do it, but I do put that time aside for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, gosh, so many things keep me sober, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I went through a really um, hard, hard breakup in 2017 and a parting of ways, but at the time it felt like my heart was breaking wide open. And I think that, oh, gosh, like that going through that is something that motivates and inspires me every day. Like I can touch that pain so quickly and it can just remind me of what's possible. Mm -hmm. um, and that, inspires me that helps me like on the days when I if I need to lay down for several hours during a day I do right like I listen to my body and I think that like that's what that experience in 2017 and into 2018 that's what inspired me to take my business online mm -hmm. was that was that experience of going through it you know as a conscious woman um so I, I think that it's a lot of things it's and it's and it is it's always related to my nervous system mm -hmm. <laughs> period you know i mean um moving here was all a nervous system thing like i was like oh, i don't know what i'm doing i just moved y'all from california to texas and i live across the street from my parents which i haven't even lived in the same state as them in 20 years but it was all my nervous system and this deep trust of myself of just like yes this is the next right thing to do and you don't need to know why just keep following it and i was like oh like it was so just like viscerally like difficult to do because i was like this doesn't make sense but something in me and so i guess like that's another thing of it's my it, my body tells me and i follow it and i go and um I do it imperfectly. <laughs> I love that. It's true. I, I mean, it's just one step forward every single day. And sometimes it's like, okay, I'm doing this. Let's see how this turns out. And I find that whenever I'm, I'm following that path, you know, when I'm making a decision now, option A or option B, if it's aligned with what I, my purpose is and, and helping other people, it's usually always the right decision. Sometimes I'm just like you. I'm like, ah, why? But it always ends up for the best. And while I'm still here, you know, I'm still an entrepreneur. I haven't fallen flat on my face yet. And yeah, it's just, there are so many things for me too. I just, yeah, it's, it, I think it's an amazing journey. So, um, Obviously, you know, we're short for time. I feel like we could go on another hour and I have so many questions that I want to ask you. So we're just going to have to have you back on the show. But for now, how can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah, for sure. But first of all, thank you. This has been such a delight to spend this time with you. Um, and y'all can get in touch with me. I made it very simple. Thrive in Recovery with Amy. My website, 
my Instagram, my Facebook, all of the things. I do tons of videos so you can like just get to know me really easily that way. And um, I do a lot of complimentary stuff to just kind of come in and be a part of the communities. And um, what I'm really on fire for for the rest of 2021, um, I keep forgetting what year it is, <laughs> um, is, is this really learning to trust, like deeply trust and to have that with the people in our lives. So I'm really inviting the communities of people who choose recovery and people who love people in recovery to come together in one space. And it's been magnificent so far. So Thrive in Recovery with Amy. If any of this sounds interesting to you, come closer. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. I can't wait to have you back. I'm, I'm going to yeah. have to ask you to come back because it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and look forward to more. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. And of course, if you want to learn more about Amy, make sure you head on over to the show notes. And guys, you know, are you suffering from that fixed mindset? Do you still find that your limiting beliefs are holding you back from getting you where you want to be? Well, book a free 30-minute mindset audit call. You can learn whether you have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, where on the scale you rank, and because it's often, you know, our ability to learn from our mistakes, right, that's going to set us apart and definitely get us through the tough times and help us build resilience. So you can head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash mindset audit And guys, I will see you on the next show. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.